0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Earlier this week, Ernest and I were on a walk, and as we passed someone, he said, I think that was Mark. We wondered if Mark recognized us with our masks. So, do you recognize me with my mask? So far, you probably do. But what if I were to add a hat, And what if I were actually to add my sleep mask that I sometimes use if it's too bright with the sun or other lights? Like, do you recognize me now? If we could go back a year in time and see pictures of life today with most everyone in masks, with folks trying to avoid one another on paths and sidewalks, we'd be shocked. We'd barely recognize this moment in time. We would think we are watching a dystopian movie, right? Two of our readings today have surprising lack of recognition moments. At the climax of a long story and in the midst of a famine, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to beg for food. What they don't know is that their brother is now the virtual ruler of Egypt, and they don't recognize him. And while the disciples are on a storm-tossed sea, Jesus walks toward them, but they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. We'll come back to both of those recognition stories in a moment. But think of times that you haven't recognized someone. Had a lot of time passed? Maybe it was a college or high school reunion. Perhaps someone's appearance had indeed changed. A new hairstyle, new glasses. Very common, perhaps they gained weight or lost weight. Or they aged, don't we all? Now the worst thing, of course, is when someone recognizes you, and you have no idea who they are. When that happens to me, I'm happy if I sense something about them. At least there's something to start with, like, hey, aren't you the one who moved here from Texas? But if they playfully tease me, you do remember me, don't you? and I don't, I say, help me, like give me a clue. I kind of wonder if someday in the future, our names will be digitally, digitally available on our foreheads with the click of a watch or a phone. Back to Joseph. Now, even folks with minimal biblical knowledge recognize this story. Some know it through the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The Joseph story is a novella in itself, coming at the end of Genesis. I read the whole thing this past week, and I recommend you do it, even if it's been a long time. It has a compelling plot, avarice and greed, jealousy and sibling rivalry, sex, politics, palace intrigue, and like the Genesis stories we've been hearing the past weeks, plenty of family dysfunction. Some things never change. Now, the final emotional scene that we just heard, when Joseph finally reveals who he is to his brothers, leads many people to recognize Joseph as a model of divine forgiveness and mercy. After all, his scheming brothers leave him half dead in a pit, and he becomes an exile in Egypt. Yet one commentator makes this observation. Long before HBO's Tony Soprano, Joseph was the original bad guy protagonist. Let's look more closely at the story. You begin to see Joseph's complexity as the youngest son of 12. Well, he's hmm, daddy's favorite, but he's also a tattletale and a bit, a bit of a brat. He's a dream interpreter. In one dream that he tells his father and brothers, they end up bowing down to him. You can see how that would go over well, which of course comes true. Well, the brothers grow to resent Joseph, and he ends up in a pit and his soul to Egypt. But as he matures, Joseph's character, maybe like ours, becomes more complicated. He's handsome, successful, second in command to powerful Pharaoh. Joseph's dreams of a famine come true, and suddenly his past and his present collide his brother's journey from Canaan to buy grain, and not surprisingly, they do not recognize their little brother, now in his fancy Egyptian clothes, and his powerful persona. Joseph is anything but merciful at first. He is downright manipulative, if you read the whole section. He pretends not to recognize his siblings. He throws them in prison. He puts the money they paid for grain back in their sacks. The brothers are terrified to discover it, afraid they will be accused of stealing. More emotional ups, more emotional downs, and fast forward. The brothers return to Egypt now with the new favorite son, Benjamin. And after feasting together, rather than Joseph like finally coming out for who he is, he puts his favorite cup in Benjamin's sack, which sets up charges of stealing. (laughs) All through this, we see Joseph's imperial power. Amid famine and hunger, Joseph alone decides who gets food and who doesn't, who will live and who will die. We, the reader or the hearer, We're drawn to Joseph somehow. But Joseph, time after time, steps aside, goes off camera, goes out of the room to weep privately. Now, though Joseph is the one wronged and will demonstrate forgiveness before he falls apart, weeping on his brother's necks, he plays again on their fears, exploits his imperial power. But finally, Joseph's secret becomes unbearable, as secrets usually do. And then the moment of recognition. Joseph finally comes clean. I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be angry with yourselves because you sent me here, for God sent me to preserve your life. Do you recognize God in the story? A God who works to bring good from evil? A divine grace that transforms a curse into a blessing? Or as one writer says, the God who has every reason to reject a wayward human family, but instead loves them, even to the point of one's own participation in their suffering. Maybe like Joseph, our complicated lives have purpose as well. And now, Get in the boat with me. Where do you recognize yourself in today's gospel? In the fear and terror of the disciples? The wind and the waves are enough. But then they, they see a ghost walking toward them on the water. Weird. Maybe they're just imagining it. Or do you recognize yourself in always over-eager Peter? Ready to take a risk, jumping right in, walking right on the water toward Jesus. But when he takes his eyes off Jesus, amid the wind, he freaks out. He begins to sink. In these weird, freaky, frightening days, as we begin to sink, Jesus reaches his hand to us, catches us, even when we don't recognize him or recognize any divine purpose for it all, even when we are manipulative or secretive like Joseph, even when we don't think there's any way we can get out of this mess, this sinking ship. In our doubts, In our despair, we hear hopeful words. Take heart. It is I, Jesus. Do not be afraid. It is the moment of recognition. The words we long to hear. The peaceful presence in the midst of the storm we are now living. This Lord's Day, gathered together online, we hear the resonant meditation bell. We take a deep breath, and with the exhale, with the exhale, there is a sigh of relief, the presence of God. Amen.